When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, but he must hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so. He will hold me fast. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away, and he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. The promise in this beatitude is that those who mourn are blessed because they will be comforted. And that comfort comes through a person and a promise. The comforter, the Holy Spirit, the person is promised by Jesus. And then the promise is that eventually mourning will end. Mourning will be over. It's one of those things that in the new heavens and the new earth come to an end. So what we see is that ultimate comfort is possible. It's going to be a reality. But it will only be a reality for us if we join the mourners now. And Jesus is our perfect model of all these beatitudes. He shows us what each of them means. And more than that, he's fulfilled each of them perfectly in our place. So what did it mean for Jesus to be among the mourners? It meant that he himself had to first drink the cup of suffering before he could return to the Father with our salvation in hand fully paid for. See, Jesus had to experience firsthand the pain of living in a fallen world. He had to endure a place where things fall apart and loved ones die. Even the sinless one wept here on earth, not for his own sins, for he had none, but for the sins of others. Besides at the tomb in John 11 with Mary and Martha, where he wept for Lazarus, but he was weeping there because of the consequences of the first man, Adam, his sin. And it was through him that sin and death entered the world to begin with. The world was never meant to be this way. That's why he was known 
echoing Isaiah 53 as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Actually, think about this. No one who's ever walked this earth has experienced the sorrows quite like Jesus. And I'm not even talking about the sorrows of his sufferings on the cross. Think about what it must have been like for him. Because you know that every person over 12 years old is carrying in them and with them some deep sorrow, some sadness that's tainted their life. And most people do a great job of going on through life and covering it up and smiling and being um, thoughtful and joyful. But everybody has some silent suffering. And could you imagine what it would have been like for Jesus as he could look into the eye of every human he came across and could see immediately the depths of their own sorrow? No one's ever suffered like him. But Jesus is no longer among the mourners. Now he's enthroned. He weeps no more. Now the Lord laughs, like as Psalm 2 tells us, at the feeble plans of the wicked. All the plots of the evil one and his earthly accomplices can do nothing to prevent God from accomplishing his purpose. And that purpose on God's part is to redeem a people for himself. And so it was for the joy set before him he endured the suffering, knowing that suffering now, mourning now, but celebration and joy. He knew Isaiah 35.10, that the ransom of the Lord will return and they will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. So the text we read this morning, Revelation 21, it's an echo and an amplification in the reality of Isaiah 35. When sorrow and sighing flee away. I love how Isaiah puts those two things together, both sorrow and sighing. It's God himself. Jesus himself will wipe away every tear, and death ends, and mourning ends, and crying ends. And that is what we as Christians wait for. This new order of things has been promised, and it's coming but it hasn't fully arrived yet. So before Jesus could return to his father's side, his work accomplished, he had to first become a mourner. First mourning, then comfort. That was the pattern of the life of Jesus. Martin Luther King Jr. says, it was so designed that the cross he bore had to precede the crown he wore. But that pattern of Jesus' life gives us hope. We mourn in the sure and certain hope that one day it will end. And we will be, we will enter into his dwelling place and his presence forever. So blessed are those who mourn over their own sin, for they will be comforted. They're comforted in Jesus because the penalty of the sin has been paid and the power over them has been crushed. Blessed are those who mourn over the sins of others, for they will be comforted. They will be granted a place in God's kingdom among God's people where sin can no longer enter. And blessed are those who mourn over the brokenness of the world, for they will be comforted. They will see the full multitude of the Lord's redeemed surrounding his throne as he makes all things new. Praise God from whom all 
Blessings flow, praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Oh.